0: Hi, welcome to the New Covenant Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast, a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OPC, in the San Francisco Bay Area. Amen. Brothers and sisters, please remain standing and turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. We'll be looking at verses 16 through 19 this morning. Matthew chapter 11, verses 16 uh, through 19. Please give your attention to the reading of God's holy word. But to what shall I liken this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their companions and saying, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We mourned to you, and you did not lament. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by her children. Thus far the reading of God's Word. You may be seated. go to the Lord once again in prayer. Oh Father, how we do pray that you would even now open our eyes to behold the glory of your word that you have given to us, and may it be that you would give us humble hearts to submit to it, that we would not stand over your word and seek to judge it, but Lord, that you would help us to see that the Bible really is your word, your word revealed to us from heaven, and therefore there is a great obligation and necessity for us to receive it as such and to conform our lives to it, rather than seek to have you conform to us, which we know is foolishness. Lord, we do pray that you would help us, even now, that we would not be counted like the unbelieving generation that the Lord Jesus Christ describes here in Matthew 11. For we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, there are two ways in which we can conceive our relationship to God and the way in which we relate to him as people. We can either uh, seek to take the things that we know from the world and then say that we can simply build up reason upon reason. If this is true, this must be true, then this must be true. And say, because of these things, we know uh, what God requires of us and who God is. The idea is that we can construct for ourselves everything that we need from the things that are uh, around us. The other way in which we can relate to God is by receiving the word that God has given to us. We can either try to construct a way to God based on what makes sense to us, or we can humbly receive the word of God and the way that he has described back to himself, we can receive that from him. One way is to build your religion from the ground up, and the other is to receive that which comes down from heaven. Now, Thinking a little bit more about these two different ways. Uh, One, you can say, is represented by the Tower of Babel, the idea of building your religion uh, from the ground up. There a man thinks he can accomplish something. He sets out to achieve it. He is very optimistic about his capabilities. And so he begins and constructs this tower. And he really does believe that when he gets finished making this tower, it will rise up to heaven and they will have an access point to God himself. And today, we do not construct temples in this sort of way, but there are ways in which there are religions and religious ideas, particularly even Christian ones, that are constructed uh, so as to be based on simply the mind of man. And yet we believe that God would or wouldn't do this various thing, and therefore we know that God will act a certain way towards us. And in all of these ways, and this this idea of building your religion from the ground up, so to speak, uh, in all of these ways... Uh, Man always becomes the judge of what is right and wrong. So the idea is we can look around us and we have every confidence that we can understand, apart from the Word, uh, what God requires of us. We know how God will act. And if there's something that does not correspond to what we believe about the way God will act towards us, we simply reject it. Simply, it is a way of standing over the Word of God. And this can even happen with, with the Bible itself. People will say, You know, I know that God is like this. I know it because of this thing in my heart. And therefore, when you speak to me about these Bible verses, I know that it cannot be right. Now, very often this happens uh, not in such a direct way, but even in a more subtle way where uh, people will just. Rather than deny the Bible outright, they'll say, well, the Bible doesn't really say that. That verse doesn't mean that. Uh, This text doesn't uh, mean what you think it means. And so then the Word of God is subtly twisted to make it conform to what a person thinks it ought to say. And this is very often the way that things go, not just with atheists, but even with Christians, those who call themselves Christians. Now, the other approach is to receive the Word of God as it comes down from heaven, the image here is not of uh, the Tower of Babel, but rather of the heavenly Zion that comes down from heaven. And in this way, man recognizes that he has no ability to approach the throne of God of his own strength. He recognizes that the world does reveal—not trying to, to deny that the world reveals—even uh, it, it gives very true knowledge, it's never wrong about uh, the word of God, about who God is, and yet. There is an understanding of personal weakness and of sin that leads to a person saying, if I were left to myself, that I would never be able to figure out the way to God. And I'm rather going to humbly receive whatever God has communicated to us concerning these things. Ultimately, these ways of viewing your relationship with God are very simply simply the, the way in which you relate to the Bible. Do you put yourself when you hear the word of God, do you put yourself over it as its judge, or do you submit to it and humbly put yourself under it such that you are willing to be conformed to it? Or are you rather seeking to have God conform to your thoughts of Him? One of them is, a, is the unbelief that the Lord Jesus Christ describes here. It's very proud. It thinks it can succeed in climbing to God. And the other is humble. It recognizes that the only way you could possibly get to God is through the way that God himself has revealed. Now, what does this have to do with this particular text? Why is uh, this description being given here as the Lord Jesus Christ gives us the, the description of the generation and, uh, that he was living in? The reason is because Christ here is generation that he is living in. And if you were to ask what made them wicked, what made them wicked and unbelieving? The answer is, is that when Jesus and John the Baptist came to this generation, they demanded that Jesus and John conform to them. They demanded that Jesus and John conform to them and their understandings of righteousness. And when Jesus and John did not, it meant that Jesus and John were to be condemned. They were unwilling to conform themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ and to the message of John the Baptist. They rather said, we will stand over you and judge you. And we will judge you to be prophets and of God if you check the boxes that we demand that you check. This is the characteristic of unbelief that the Lord Jesus Christ is describing. And brothers and sisters, it is always a great characteristic of unbelief in every age. It is not anything new whatsoever. You'll remember in the context, this is actually going to be uh, here, the very last thing that the Lord Jesus Christ says as part of his testimony to the to uh, the world about John the Baptist. you remember in uh, the beginning of Matthew chapter 11, John the Baptist had come and he was uh, doubting whether or not the Lord Jesus Christ was really the Messiah. And so after sending them away, uh, the messengers away back to John to, to, to comfort and give assurance to John, he then described the greatness of John. And what the Lord Jesus Christ said in chapter in verses 7 through 15 is that because of the greatness of John, you know, there's there's no one born of women greater than John up to this point. And what John's coming means is that it means that the kingdom of God has come. And what he says is, is that those who understand this are seeking forcefully to enter the kingdom of God. They have submitted themselves to the Word of God. They understand what is happening, and therefore they're seeking to enter. This passage is simply to say that the generation by and large is not like that. That the generation in which Jesus is living, rather than understanding that John's coming, meant that the kingdom of God itself had burst into earth. That rather, uh, this generation looks at John and Jesus and says, well, no, you just have to conform to us. And if not, we will not receive you. They, had, they were completely blind to the reality of what the coming of John and what Jesus and because of this, because of this great wickedness, we will see next week in verses 20 through 24 that there are great words of condemnation and judgment that are pronounced. Uh, if you seek to demand that God conform to your way of thinking, and if you say you will not receive the word of God on any issue because of something in your life, that something in your heart, that you believe means it just does not make sense to you, it is not something that I don't think God would do, if that is your attitude towards the word of God, then you are in the category of the unbelief of the generation to which Jesus now gives these words. And what that means, brothers and sisters, as well, is, is that the woes that are pronounced are also things that are warnings given to you in verses 20 through 24. Now, we'll look at this passage under two headings, We'll look at uh, first in verses 16 and 17 the uh, the the metaphor that the Lord Jesus Christ gives for the the, the unbelieving generation and that is of, of children sitting in a marketplace so the way the passage works is there is a this comparison that's made and then it's explained in verses 18 and 19 so we'll look first at the at the uh, comparison and then we'll look at the explanation that is uh, given so m- remember the idea is that the the unbelieving generation is compared to children that are sitting in uh, a marketplace. Now, as we look at verses 16 and 17, it's important to keep in mind that in the explanation given in verses 18 and 19, um, the explanation does not include every element of the parable. So the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't say, you know, this equals this, this means this. There is a, a general comparison that's given and then a general explanation that's given. And so because of that, it's important for us to understand uh, some of the ins and outs of the parable itself before we get uh, to the uh, explanation that's given the first thing that you need to recognize about verse 16 is you'll notice that that it is the generation that is compared to children sitting in the marketplace so the idea of the comparison is the generation that christ is speaking to they are like the children that are sitting in the marketplace now the reason i emphasize this is because uh, the children themselves are the ones who are going to be described as evil Um, some argue that christ and john are the children and that they are the ones who either came playing the flute or mourning, and that the people didn't respond to their message. Um, but this is really contrary to, to what Jesus Christ here does in terms of the generation. It is, he's not comparing himself to the children sitting in the marketplace, with then the people being those who did not respond to the children. It is rather the generation itself, which is uh, the children. And you'll notice then that the one thing that's described uh, about the children in verse 17 is that they are uh, either singing the flute, they're, they're either playing the flute and, and singing songs of mirth, so to speak, or they are uh, mourning at one another. They, they're, they're mourning, uh, or they are singing the flute, or, or playing the flute and singing. And the point is, is that uh, the children are basically moving quickly from rejoicing to mourning as part of their play. So the idea is that they're just playing, and they are going from one to the next. And they are demanding... They are demanding and expecting that everyone who hears them, either singing or mourning, that they will follow them. And the children are upset when they see, you know, we are playing with all of these songs of joy. And the idea of a song of joy would be something like a, like a wedding. So the idea is like we're playing wedding and you aren't rejoicing with us when we're playing. Or we are, we are playing regarding the mourning of the loss of a loved one and you're not mourning with us. You are are not submitting yourselves to what we are saying you need to do uh, in all of these situations. The, the children are foolish because uh, not just because they are moving from one to the other very quickly, but by the very nature of the case, they are children who are expecting that all others follow them. They they clearly do not know their place. They do not know. Uh, they do not know the the their role and responsibility in the world. And therefore, they are demanding of others whom they should be submitting to that they submit to them. So the idea here in terms of applying this to Jesus and John is that they believe that they can set the agenda for Jesus and John and that Jesus and John must then submit to them. If we play songs of joy, we expect you to dance. We expect you to respond in a way that's consistent with what we are doing. If we... Sing a dirge. If we are mourning, we expect you to mourn along with us. We expect you to follow our lead. And if you do not, if you do not, then we will ridicule you. And we will tell you, look, we have done these things for you. And you have not responded to us. They are sitting in judgment over Jesus and John. Rather than recognizing that they are the ones that are sent from God. Now, brothers and sisters, throughout history, this has been a common way to treat the Lord Jesus Christ. It's seen in in the ways in which one relates to the Bible and in ways that uh, someone relates to Christianity in general. And so, for instance, we have uh, many centuries ago, uh, this was more popular, the, the deists, they believed that natural religion was sufficient for man. The idea of natural religion here not being... The same thing as natural revelation. We do believe that uh, everything around us, all of creation, does reveal to us uh, uh, who God is. But what they believed was, uh, all you needed was the things that are around us. And basically, you could understand everything you need to know about God simply by looking around and building an idea of of God. You know, clearly God is is a God of love and this or that thing. And so they would uh, even say that there was no need for supernatural revelation. And the idea then was, If you were to tell them something that was in the Bible that that they could not figure out from nature, they would simply reject it. They would say, well, I have no need of this. The idea there is, again, they're standing over the Bible. They believe they know how to get to God, and they demand that whatever is found in the Bible conform to them. Now, everything that does conform to to, to their way of thinking, they will gladly receive. They'll receive all the parts in the Bible that that they want but they are unwilling to receive anything that contradicts the way they think that man can get to God on his own. Now, this happens again in uh, the 19th and 20th centuries with liberal theology. And there were basically three main dictates in liberal theology. The idea was that they taught the universal fatherhood of God, the, the universal brotherhood of man, and the infinite value of the soul. And so they taught these three things. And the idea again is, uh, if anything contradicts these three things, which they have produced from their own hearts, then it will be rejected. It doesn't matter if it comes from the Bible. Um, and And in fact, any attempt to say that a teaching of the Bible is important that is beyond those three things is considered uh, unnecessarily narrow and dogmatic. We, you know who who really needs to, to to cause such divisions about these minor points uh, of doctrine? And in this way, they stood over the Bible. They stood over the Bible and were unwilling to submit to it. Now, brothers and sisters, the same thing is happening today. The same thing happens today. And it happens today especially with today's emphasis on the importance of feelings. The idea is that you explain to someone something that's in the Bible, and there is a response that goes something like this. I just know that God wouldn't do that. I just know that God would do that. I, I just know it. This is the argument of universalists today. Basically, the argument is very simply, we just know that God wouldn't send people to hell. We just know it. We, we know that God is a God of love, and so they will quote that verse, of the Bible, which we also would quote and, and love. Um, but the Bible is abundantly clear. It's abundantly clear that God will send some people to hell. In fact, uh, the very next passage that we'll be looking at next week is... Uh, filled with condemnations for all of the people who are remaining in unbelief. And even saying that there will be worse punishments for those who simply disbelieve the Bible than there will be for Sodom, which received the judgment of having fire come down from heaven to consume them. And so we know very clearly uh, that the Bible does in fact teach that there will be some people that go to hell. And what are the arguments that are used to defend the idea that everyone will go to heaven? It's basically just feelings. We know that God would not do it. The Bible is being subjected to the feelings of man. I know it in my heart. I do not need to submit myself uh, to the scriptures. Uh, I had a, a, a conversation several years ago with uh, some Mormons, and um, and I was um, having this conversation with them, and and um, was trying to show them that uh, one of the one of the problems is that revelation has clearly ceased. There's no more special revelation. The Lord Jesus Christ is the last prophet. And therefore, we know for a fact that Joseph Smith could not be a prophet. He absolutely cannot be a prophet because if he was a prophet, it would contradict the Bible. And I uh, showed sure, them other problems with th- things like the, the theory of the great apostasy and that sort of thing. Uh, but what, what was the response that was given to me? One of them said, I know that Joseph Smith is a prophet. I just know it. I know it in my heart. And brothers and sisters, every single position on every single issue, can always be defended by the statement, I just know it in my heart. The same is all, often the case today with, um, with women who want to be pastors. Uh, very often they'll say well, that they know that God has called them to it. They know that God has called them to it. Even though the Bible explicitly denies that it's possible, God does not permit a woman to have authority over man uh, in the church. And yet they will, they will tell us that they know it. They just know that the Bible, uh, that God himself is calling them to it. They are subjecting the word of God uh, to their feelings. Uh, This problem with the heart, uh, one of the great problems with it is uh, it is a way of subjecting God to yourself. Um, The way I feel becomes the lens through which we judge what God is and what he himself will do. The problem is that God does not speak to us in our hearts. He speaks to us in the Bible. He speaks to us outside of our hearts. And we are called upon to submit to the revelation that he himself has given to us. Uh, The idea, actually, that God would speak to us in our hearts and apart from the word of God, the idea of like an inner light that we all have access to, that if we just pay attention to it, we will be led into the truth, that idea is actually what mysticism is. Uh, Mysticism is the idea of, of just that very thing. There'll be an inner light that's inside of you and if we just pay attention to it, we know that God will lead us in the right direction. It is a way that you can be religious, appear to be Christian, even zealously so, and actually never be submitting to the Bible on anything. And brothers and sisters, you have to keep in mind, the Jews that the Lord Jesus Christ is describing here, none of them were atheists. None of them were. All of them believed in God. They believed generally in the resurrection of the dead. They worshiped and were even zealous for the worship of God. And their error was that they subjected God to their own thoughts. And Christ calls them a very, very wicked generation, a very, very wicked generation that is doomed to a great judgment. Brothers and sisters, this is the warning that is given to you. You are not to subject. God, to your own thoughts and feelings. The mark of a true Christian is that he does not stand in judgment over the word of God and declares from his heart what he believes that could or could not be true regarding God. The mark of a true Christian is humbly receiving the word of God as it has been given. And to say, I could be an heir on any number of things, I will simply receive from God where those errors are, where I have sinned, I will submit to it, ask him for forgiveness, seek to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ rather than demand that the Lord Jesus Christ be subjected and conformed to us. Brothers and sisters, this is basically a description of the only two positions that you can take with regard to the Bible. There are only two positions you can take with regard to the Bible. You can either submit to it or you can stand over it. You can either submit to it or you can stand over it. The the Christian is one who submits to it. And so the Lord Jesus Christ describes the unbelieving generation as children sitting in a marketplace that demand others follow them. Now you'll notice then, the point in verses 18 and 19 is that the Lord Jesus Christ then uh, shows the way in which this applies to himself and to John. First to John and then then to himself, to John in verse 18, and then to himself in verse 19. And uh, the idea here is that this generation that the Lord Jesus Christ is living in, that they were always able to find fault with John, they were always able to find fault with Jesus, they did not like the message, and so they could always point to to, uh, various things that that they did not like as reasons, as as, uh, pretenses for their rejection of them. And Jesus points out here that if you stand over the Bible in this way, if you stand over the Word of God, that you will end up rejecting God's servants for completely contrary reasons, such that there can really be no one that you could ever accept is the idea, so John the Baptist comes in verse 18. He comes neither eating nor drinking. That just uh, means you know he lived a very ascetic life. He lived. He was very strict with regard to his fastings, that sort of thing. He didn't uh, didn't make use of the pleasures of this world like other people did. And so he comes neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. They look at this man who does not appear um, very clean outwardly, and they they just cast him aside and say you know he he must. It must not be that he's a servant of God if he's doing these things. It must be that he has a demon. Now, the way that John could have fixed this, supposedly, would have been for him to start eating and drinking. But the problem is, is with the Lord Jesus Christ, he did not come living such an ascetic life, as it said in verse 19. He came eating and drinking. And yet the generation did not receive him either. They say, look, look, a glutton and a winebibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So whether or not John or Jesus were eating or drinking, the, the the wicked generation that uh, submits that demands subjection of Christ and Jesus to themselves they will they were always able to find fault with them now the lord Jesus Christ and John they never conformed that's that's the point uh, any faithful servant of god is never going to conform to uh, the dictates of man uh, because the servant of god is always seeking to find his approval from god himself and so the lord Jesus Christ doesn't doesn't in any way bend neither does John the Baptist, even though they appear to be opposites on this point. The ministry of John and of Jesus are one. And yet, and yet, it is the, the, the people, the people who are declared to be unrighteous and wicked and unbelieving. Rather than bend and conform to the, the dictates of man, God will simply declare you to be an heir. And this is the way that, that it always works, brothers and sisters. If you demand that God act a certain way because of the way that you feel, know that God will never subject himself to that. He never will. Because as much as you would like, you may like to stand over the word of God. The word of God is still just that. It is the word of God. And in the end, you are not the judge of God. God himself is the judge. And he will subject you to the way in which you receive the word of God. He will subject you to the way that you receive uh, the word of God. So brothers and sisters, be careful of, of arguing against a person who brings the word of God on the basis of your own preferences. Be careful of trying to subject the word of God to preconceived notions. Now, I know that I can err. and I I, I I do err as, as I am not infallible in any way. And yet... Brothers and sisters, I have been set apart uh, by God himself to be a preacher of the word of God. And so uh, it, there is a demand and a requirement for you to submit to that word as it is given. Christ demands submission. Uh, and I'm not even just uh, talking about t- to me, but Christ demands submission to his word. Christ will never accommodate his message to you. He will never accommodate his message to you. He gives you the message, the great way of salvation, and he demands that you submit to it. And what he says then at the end, the very last thing he says is that wisdom will be justified by her children. This is the point. Christ will not conform to the dictates of man and he has already given the teachings, the deeds that have been done that clearly show who he is. On the last day, if part of your argument before God is, God, I just believe that you would act in this way. And it is for that reason that I could not receive the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. What will be shown to you is that everything that Christ did and that everything that Christ said clearly proved that he was speaking according to the wisdom of God. He will always be justified by his deeds. Just as wisdom will always be justified by her children. Everything that Christ has done has clearly shown it himself to be the son of God who has come down from God, to give the message of God, which is the only way that you can go to be with Christ forever in the new heavens and the new earth. And so brothers and sisters, the question is, which are you this morning? Are you part of the faithless generation that subjects all things to yourself? Or are you part of those who humbly submit in all things to Christ? If you are a part of the first the group that would subject all things to yourself, your own opinions. Brothers and sisters, that will lead to judgment. Remember what the prophets have said, what Jeremiah has said in Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. To build a religion based on your own heart is the height of foolishness. It is a sophisticated way to do what is said in the book of Judges that in those days there was no king in Israel, there was no one who would submit to the Lord Jesus Christ, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Brothers and sisters, the offer of the gospel is that if you do submit to Christ, he will show you the way to God. And even more than that, that the Lord Jesus Christ is the way to God. Uh, If you seek to uh, subject God to your own feelings, it will only lead to your hurt. But if you come under the Lord Jesus Christ, if you submit and bow the knee to him, you will find rest for your souls. You will, will, will find great peace and joy and comfort because in giving up your position of authority, perceived authority over the word of God, you will find yourself in perfect peace and joy in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the King of Kings. And so may it be that God, would give you the grace not to construct a Babel, a tower of Babel to heaven, but rather that you would receive the one who came down from heaven, who is the Lord Jesus Christ, who has come to offer even himself, that anyone who turns from their sins and believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's pray. O Father, how we do pray for humility for forgiveness as we think about uh, the ways in which uh, we have sinned even in this way. Lord, we know that these things can be uh, difficult to hear, and yet uh, we do ask for humble hearts to receive it well. Lord, we do pray that you would that you would help us to be humble in this way, and especially Lord that you would keep us from deceiving ourselves that we would not that we would not think that we are yours if we are those who are not truly submitting. To you in the word. Lord, grant repentance and faith. And may it be, may it be, O oh Lord, that there would be none lost in this congregation. Lord, may it be that all would seek very humbly to receive the word of God and to build their lives on it. For Lord, you do ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about our church please visit our website at newcovenantopc.com you can also follow us on youtube facebook and instagram may god enlighten the eyes of your heart that through the preached word your eyes may be opened to behold the glory of christ more and more